You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I'm joined by another special guest. You heard him a few weeks ago, actually, before the start of the basketball season for the Vols and Lady Vols. Happy to have him on here again is Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider, beat writer for RTI over there. Ryan, thank you again so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, for sure. I uh, really enjoyed talking last time, and it's been a pretty informative first couple weeks of the season, both for the Vols and Lady Vols, so plenty to talk about. Excited to, excited to get going. Yeah, man, no kidding. Uh I couldn't have Gene on here this week because of he's he's traveling and it's Thanksgiving week. So I, I do want to say first of all, I'm very appreciative of you hopping on during Thanksgiving week and and joining me here. So uh, again, and also happy early Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving Day, depending on when uh, you guys are listening to this podcast. To everyone out there listening, but no Gene for this episode. He should be back next week. But it, it's it's obviously a very busy time of year right now for a lot of people. My first thought though, uh, Ryan, was who can I bring on who knows both the Vols and Lady Vols akin to you know what gene watching both of them and you're my first one the first person popped in my head because you obviously cover both for rti so wanted to get you on here to talk both teams first let's talk about the men's team over the weekend because as you mentioned really for both squads the men's and women's teams it was a very revealing weekend and we learned a lot about both both programs both squads men's side uh didn't have as, I guess, po- net positive as the Lady Vols, because Lady Vols were 2-0, if you want to count Friday as, as weekend. Uh, but Tennessee went 1-1 with a very disappointing loss to Villanova in, in terms of, you know, not losing to Villanova is disappointing, but the way they lost to, to Villanova was disappointing. And then a bounce-back impressive victory over North Carolina on Sunday uh, in the Hall of Fame tip-off tournament. Tennessee loses 71-53 to then-number-5 Villanova on Saturday. And then on Sunday, they bounce back against then number 18, North Carolina, and win 89-72. Ryan, it was really kind of a, a, a tale of two games. Maybe even a, a technically a tale of one quarter versus three quarters, or one half versus three halves, because that first half against Villanova was awful for Tennessee. Kennedy Chandler, of course, rode the bench for a large part of that half. And I think you kind of saw what Tennessee is could be without t- Kennedy Chandler this year, at least early on. You know, we're we're very early in the season still. Second half, they played better. Obviously, definitely not good enough to erase that twenty point deficit at halftime. Lose by eighteen, and then come back and win by seventeen the next day. Before we get to kind of some minutia about the roster, what were your kind of general takeaways from this weekend, and you know, what did you learn about this team? Because to me. I learned, and by the way, Gene wanted me to, to let our listeners know that he said that he was right uh, about Tennessee. If what happens if they can't hit threes? I, I've learned that if Tennessee doesn't hit their threes, they might be in trouble depending on who they're playing because I think Villanova had a better post presence than North Carolina did. But to me, it, it's this team I don't think necessarily is as live by the three, die by the three as we've seen some Auburn and Alabama teams in the past couple years. But they're very much, if they're not connecting from three, they're in trouble. Uh, because that really opens up the post play as we saw against North County. Tennessee was able to move inside out a lot, and they dominated the paint in that game. But they also connected on I think on eight or nine threes too. So uh, I'll let you you talk here, Ryan. But what were kind of your general takeaways before we get into some specifics here? Certainly a tale of two games, as you said, and it just kind of shows 
the nature of college basketball that Tennessee goes from playing about the worst game they could imaginably play on Saturday to playing a really good game on Sunday and a basically perfect second half that they played on Sunday. And I think when you look at it, the big takeaways, kind of starting with what Gene said, I think that's right. Tennessee is is a little dependent on the three. But more than anything, what I think Tennessee's offensive issue or question mark is, is Kennedy Chandler – Kai Ziegler and Kennedy Chandler are the only two players that have shown the ability to kind of create offense off the dribble. And Tennessee's running a lot more offense off high ball screens this year, far more than they have really in any Rick Barnes seasons. And, you know, it makes it makes sense when you have Kennedy Chandler and he's going to be the focal point of your offense. But we saw in that Villanova game one, obviously, like you mentioned, he, he was out with foul trouble in a lot of the first half. But even the second half, he, he didn't play very well. And in the first half when he did play, he didn't play very well. And you see the issues that Tennessee's offense has when – you don't have him creating the defense moving, getting by his man, and he's such a good passer, setting up uh, other players for open shots and just getting the defense rotating and making it a little easier for a Justin Powell or a Viscobi to get into the paint and create stuff there because both those guys and, and really everyone on Tennessee's roster besides those two guys I mentioned struggles to beat, beat their man off the dribble and really create offense. And from what we've seen to this point in the season, I think Sunday was the best we've seen John Fulkerson look probably in mm-hmm close to 18 months uh, since the end of the 2019 season and I certainly think if he plays can play like that consistently that changes things but just from what we've seen in the early part of the season I'm not sure how much you can rely on getting a ton of scoring from your front court so I think those were big takeaways and then the last thing I thought it was a big question coming into the season and then obviously going into the first two tests of the season how could the defense hold up in those games and I thought they did they did a pretty good job in the Villanova game there were certainly some mistakes but I thought it was kind of more of a nature of they let their def- or their offense spec their defense. Once they got down, they were struggling on offense. I thought they started having kind of careless defensive lapses. And for the first half of that game, and really for a, a good portion of that game, even, you know, they come out and play great at the start of the second half on defense. Just couldn't get any offense because of the lead. I thought they were pretty locked in, and they looked pretty good. And Santiago Vescovi or Vescovi, uh, I, we don't know. I don't know what, what to call him now, but. Uh, I think he, he really has made some strides on the defensive end, and you've seen guys like Olivier Camois uh, develop there. I think he still has plenty of room to grow on offense, but he, he certainly is more reliable on the defense end this season. And, and Brandon Hunley Hatfield, I I think there's certainly still a lot of room for him to grow on defense, but good hands around the basket, and you really saw in the North Carolina game that he was a guy that could go out there and hold his own play for over 20 minutes and, and not be a liability by any means on the defensive end. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said and on Twitter during the game uh, against North Carolina, and, and especially in the second half, I said this is some vintage Fulkerson. Like you, like you said, it, that was the best he's looked so far this year. And I, I, I agree. I don't know necessarily how often we're going to get that from him this year, um, it, it, just because I don't, I don't think he's – I don't know that he's ever going to return to that 1920 form because, for one, he, he was Tennessee's number one scoring option that year. He's not being asked to be that anymore. You have other guys like like I'm just gonna call him Santi or Santiago when I'm talking about him. <laughs> Ryan, by the way, I'm not gonna try to pronounce his last name at this point anymore because of all of that craziness. Um, but Folky's not not being asked to be the number one guy anymore. You have Santi, you have Kennedy Chandler, and now you heck you've even got Sakai Ziegler off the bench you can use. Uh, but I think you also obviously have Justin Powell who did not shoot well from three in the tournament, but overall I think he's a, obviously a very good three point shooter. And it showed actually against UNC, especially that he's able to get shots and get points in other ways. Uh, he finished with eight points, 
despite going 0 of 3 uh, from the three-point line in that game. And I want to say against Villanova, let me pull up the box score really quick there, five points despite going 0 of 3. Again, you know, Black sees his, his point total uptick a little bit there uh, more than what he did this past weekend. But still, it, it's nice to know that he can still get you points and can be and do something offensively even if he's missing on his threes um, like he was in, the, in the, those those two games. But I think the post-play, I, I think Fulkerson can still give you enough there and he can rebound enough and he, he can do enough to be a productive guy. If he can go out there and get you 10-5 and five most nights, especially in the SEC, I think that's solid. I think that's that's a it's very solid, really good production from him. If Cam Walk can go out there and give you seven or eight points and six, seven rebounds, also very solid. I think that's that's going to be good post-production from your two main post guys for Tennessee this season. And what can Brandon Huntley Hatfield give you? Because I think he's the X factor in the paint right now because Cam has been pretty steady. He, he's been He's shown improvement at the beginning of the year. I don't expect him to go out there and drop 17, 18, 19, 20 points, you know, like what he did against um, – ETSU earlier this year, or you know, a couple weeks ago, or whatever. But he didn't score any against Villanova, and that was a big hurt for Tennessee. He was basically a non-factor on offense, only attempted two uh, field goals in that game. Did grab six boards and had an assist. Um, but you're 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 right, I think, about this post play being still the biggest question mark and something that I think is going to hold Tennessee back because if they can't get any post presence, if they're not able to cut to the basket, if their post guys are not or being pushed around and bullied around and and maybe even in foul trouble and stuff, I think that's where Tennessee is going to have the biggest issues moving forward. Because that, that win against North Carolina was a great bounce-back victory. But I don't think North Carolina – you and I kind of had a, a discussion on, on Twitter very briefly, uh, I think yesterday – or on Monday, Ryan. Them and Arizona, who Tennessee plays later on this year, has a both have a really huge discrepancy in how the AP voters – view them and how the Ken Palm views them and, and for both in, in different directions. I think coming into the game on Sunday, I want to say UNC was like right outside the top 50, like 54, 55 in Ken Palm, yet they were ranked, you know, in the top 20 in the AP poll. Now they're out of the top 25, but still they're receiving votes. So technically, you know, they're in the top 30, but they're still like in the fifties in the, in the Ken Palm. Whereas Arizona, uh, excuse me, I think it was Texas tech, probably not Arizona, it's Texas tech yep, who was not tech. ranked in the AP poll, but they're getting votes, but they're like in the top 25 of Ken Palms. So like and that's, it's just weird to me that that's the case that those have those two big discrepancies. So I say that to get to the point here of, it was a great bounce back victory for Tennessee. I just don't think North Carolina is as good as that number may, you may think them being number 18 in the country would indicate. I think they're an NCAA tournament team. This isn't a North Carolina team of old. This, this is a, a, a head coach in his first year at North Carolina. It's, it's a team that, had a few transfers off the roster. Still a, a talented roster. I mean, Caleb Love is a really good player. Uh, Brady Manick went off on Tennessee. He had 24 points. He was 6 of 10 from 3. He didn't have a ton of help. Armando Baycott did a good job. Um, he's a really good post player for them. Uh, he ended up with, I think, what, 16 points and 12 boards. So he had a double-double. They have a good nucleus. They don't have, outside of, of Manick, they don't have hardly any depth on the bench in terms of production uh, offensively. So they, they, they just don't have a lot of depth right now. I think they'll be an NCAA tournament team. I just don't think that, you know, I, I, th- I think Villanova is on a different echelon. That Villanova-Purdue matchup, a lot of people, you know, the John Rothsteins, the the people who watch college basketball, Jeff Borzellos of, of the world, were saying that's a, a potential Final Four preview. Um, and I agree. I mean, that, that those are two excellent, excellent teams. Those are two of the top eight teams. I, those are two teams that I would be – Stunned if they don't make it to the Elite Eight and have a, a legit, you know, a, a shot of getting into the Final Four and, and one of them making it at least. Um, 
but Ryan, I mentioned kind of the post there and looking at some of these players who I do think one thing we noticed on Sunday with North Carolina is, is maybe there is a we may have figured out some more about the rotation for Tennessee moving forward because we saw Sakai Ziegler have his breakout a game. 18 points, 5 assists, um, even had a, a couple of rebounds, which is impressive as a 5'9 as a guy out there zipping around, but he's just very quick, was able to grab that. But 3 of 5 from 3, 7 of 10 overall from the floor, uh, made his one free throw. He had a breakout campaign, a breakout performance. We saw Zakai and Kennedy Chandler and Santiago Vescovi, all three on the court at the same time, especially with Sakai and Chandler being your two point guards on the, at the court at the same time. Do you think, I, I think to me, Ryan, that's not a, a rotation or a lineup I expect to see like a ton of in games. I don't, I don't think it's one you can run with for like eight to 10 minutes at a time, at least in my opinion. But I think it's one you can put in for a, a, a sub package for a, a four minute spurt between media timeouts that can really, if you need a, a, a spark on offense, if you need something to, to, Give a different look to a, a defense if they're playing, at, you know, if they're playing a zone, for example, and you're having a tough time against it or something like that. Um, I think that's a a little four minute burst lineup that could really do some damage moving forward for Tennessee. And I, and I think Zakai Ziegler is going to steal some minutes from a guy like Victor Bailey Jr., which we'll, I want to talk about him a little bit more in a second. But Ryan, I I am curious to hear your thoughts on that because I I think it's to me it's a lineup I don't want to see a ton. But, man, you can't argue against the results you saw on Sunday. I mean, this Santi had 17 points, 9 boards. Chandler, 14 points, 5 boards, 8 assists. And I mentioned Zakai with 18 points and, and 5 assists. So, I mean, you can't argue with those results. They, they they were Tennessee's best players on the floor on Sunday. And then you also obviously throw in Fulkerson. So, I mean, I expect to see that again. Um, but I don't know how much I necessarily want to see it unless you, I mean, Tennessee played really well small ball on, on Sunday. So, I mean, maybe, it, maybe that is the strategy moving forward as going more small ball um, kind of moving forward. It's, it's a big question that I'm watching. I mean, certainly, and you're right. I think in some ways that you're not going to see it. You're definitely not going to see as much. You saw it in the North Carolina game, but at the same time, you know, I'm not ruling out that it can't be more than just a four minute spurt. A thing at a time. I mean, it's it's going to be about Ziegler and Chandler. I think holding up on the defensive end, number one. And I think there's probably going to be some games that you're right. The Tennessee just matchup wise cannot play those guys on the same time uh, at the same time for extended amounts of minutes. But I think there's a lot of games that, that they will be able to if Ziegler can continue to play at a level even close to what he played at uh, that Sunday. So that to me, that's the big question: is, is can I think Ziegler's a good player. I think he's a guy that down the road is going to be able to do what he did Sunday consistently. Mm-hmm. It's not realistic to think he's going to do that, you know, night in and night out. Seems, <laughs> right. He's going to. I bet, and I bet he hasn't been on, you know, hardly been on a scouting report uh, for anyone so far this year. That's going to change. I mean, you look yep. at what he did in that North Carolina game. A lot of what he did, driving to the right side, you know, finishing with his right hand. I think when teams start to, to game plan against him, certainly some of that stuff's going to be taken away, and it's all about how you can respond. It's why it's hard to see freshmen especially freshmen that aren't big five stars come in and be a consistent really good player throughout the course of a season but uh, it's certainly uh, to me one of the biggest questions to watch because just what I was saying in that first uh, first little bit Ziegler's the other guy when he's playing well that can create stuff offensively and I think just as impressive as those points and assists he had in that North Carolina game was the fact that he didn't turn the ball over in what 24 27 I can't remember I don't have it in front of me minutes he played he took care of all really well, and at the end of the game with a big lead, was kind of toying with the North Carolina press. 
can he keep on doing those things? Can he hold up on the defensive end? Because if he can do that, I think he's going to play a lot of minutes. He's going to steal a lot of minutes from Victor Bailey, and I think that changes Tennessee's offense. Just just the potential of it skyrockets if you can play those guys, two guys on the court for a decent amount of time. Absolutely, and and a guy who I think he, again, like I mentioned, that he's taking minutes away from uh, moving forward is Victor Bailey Jr. But again, like you said, I, d- I don't expect Ziegler to have these types of performances moving forward, but I think he he's a guy who Rick Barnes has already raved about enough. Um, we talked that, that was one of the things when you were last on here, Ryan, we talked about was Ziegler in practice and how much Rick Barnes has praised him back then. And it, it's obviously already showing early this year. Every time Zakai's been on the floor, he's made a, an impact defensively or offensively. But really, he's been, he's been pesky on defense. That's kind of where I've noticed more of his impact coming in, in little spurts on offense, but then Sunday was the big offensive outburst from him. But I've been very disappointed with Victor Bailey Jr.'s start to this year. And maybe it's just a slow start. We're, we're, again, we're only five games in the year. We're 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 like an eighth of the way through, if even that much, because you have what thirty-one at regular season games, and then you have the SEC tournament, yep. and then I mean, this team's going to make the NCAA tournament, so you have that too. So like. You're an eighth of the way through the season at this point. I don't want to make sweeping generalizations. Tennessee is finally – this is their first two actual real tests they've, they've played so far this year. So we're, we're making – we're taking a very small sample size and trying to extrapolate it out to, you know, once Tennessee gets into SEC play. But I, I have not been impressed by Victor Bailey Jr.'s start to the year. But he, he played all of six minutes against North Carolina because he was not playing well when he's in there. And you had other guards who played a lot better. Against um, North Carolina, against Villanova, he did play 23 minutes, but he has finished the game with two points, 0 4 from three, 1 of 5 from the floor overall, and nothing else in the stat sheet. No assists, no rebounds, had a turnover, but I mean, nothing, <laughs> that's that's bad. So nothing else out there did he, did he do in 23 minutes. He, he finished with two points on the year right now uh, through the first five games, or four games of the season, excuse me. Um, trying to miss that line. Here he is. He is averaging 4.8 points. And is only making twenty one point four percent of his threes. Again, I I mean that's not gonna be the same throughout the season. At least not the three point shooting to me. I think it's just a, a product of a slow start. But I, I don't know, man. I I think he's got to turn it around quick because it's not like Tennessee <coughs> needs him and guard. We we talked about it, we've talked about it multiple times on this podcast. You and I talked about it too. Tennessee strengths in their guard and their depth and in their play both at guard right now. It's not like he is a, a front court guy. You know, if, if he was a, a six eight post player, you'd still be playing him because you have to. You don't have to play him. You, you've got guys who like like Powell, and, and once he comes back, you have Josiah Jordan James, obviously, who can play multiple positions in the guard lineup too, who you can play over him. It's not like you need Victor Bailey Jr. to play. It'd be great to have him because he's another depth piece and can add you know more scoring for you. But I looked at what I look what Powell can do. He's a better rebounder than Bailey, and, and about the same, if not better, shooter. Josiah, obviously, a better all-around, uh, you know, tool guy, especially on defense than than Victor Bailey. Uh, Santi is a better shooter and a better overall player because he he can handle the ball really well too than Bailey. I mean, I I just don't see a way that Bailey stands out unless he's hitting on his threes. And then on the flip side, I thought Urosh. I'm not downing him as much as some people I saw on Twitter, but man, his defense, that got him in trouble multiple times against Villanova, against North Carolina. He was committing fouls that were off the ball. That's just been a running issue with him since he's been at Tennessee. That's not something that, if it's still an issue at this point, I don't know that he's going to fix it because he keeps committing. It's not like he's committing fouls going hard for rebound, like over the back. We're committing fouls in the paint, trying to block a guy's shot. He's committing fouls off the ball, 
and just just some dumb penalties or d- dumb fouls. And he's not rebounding very well still. He, he grabbed all of, of four rebounds in a total of 18 minutes over the weekend. Those are two guys who I think you're gonna they're gonna have to really turn things around here soon, or they're very much in trouble of being relegated to the to being what I would say like a Derek Walker of, of a few years ago, where you're, you're coming off the bench in situations, but you're not playing you're not playing in most games. You're coming off in every you know every one or two ga- or two or three games and you're playing. But for for Urosh, I mean, Homie Hadfield has a lot more upside than him. Olivier has been better. Obviously, Fulkerson's is healthy. He's he's playing, and then you've seen Adu finally get some minutes. And if he can recover from the uh, um, the mono he had at the you know the beginning of the year, missed a lot of practices and stuff. If he can keep coming on and 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 develop here in these these kind of cupcake matchups Tennessee has coming up, that's also going to be concerning for Urosh. I, mean, I, I don't think Urosh is going to transfer. He's a guy that he's the ultimate teammate. Ryan, he's a guy that I think stays here regardless. But if I'm Victor Bailey, like I I think this weekend should be a wake up call for him. At least if it isn't, then. I, I, you know, it is what it is. But I, I think if I'm him, this this weekend should have been a wake up call of, hey man, I, I, I can't be complacent. I, you know, I got to go fight for my spot out there because they're they're taking away from me right now because these guys are ever playing a lot better than I am. You're right, and, and I never really expected him to be a major rotation piece. And hmm. and I will say I do think he he's gotten better, and I think he's a guy that can go out and steal a few minutes for you, three, four, five minutes a game, which I don't think he was that guy last year. We saw it a little bit in the end of the season. But I, 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 for a second, I thought you were talking about Victor Bailey. Sorry, you're talking about Urosh. I was like, wait a minute. Urosh, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so I'm going to start with Urosh because I thought it was a little more a little more simplistic situation. Okay. Um, yep. And so, he's, you know, he's improved. And like you said, ultimate teammate. He's going to do all the right things. And, you know, off the court. But the defensively, he's – the speed, the quickness is just not there. He can't do all the things they want to do with, with the hard ball screen action, the hard ball screen defense. So I think what, what we're headed for more with Tennessee's Tennessee's uh, front court, John Fulkerson, Olivier, Brandon Huntley, Outfield, all uh, Camelot and, and Fulkerson, I definitely think, playing over 20 minutes a night, Huntley, Hatfield playing in that range. And I, I think you're going to see a lot of Josiah James playing four, which which he did a lot last year because – Tennessee didn't have many reliable uh, options off the bench either last year. So I think that you're going to end up seeing him there a lot, Tennessee playing more small ball. Um, and I think that's possible because of what a good rebounder James is, how well Cam Law is rebounding to this point. Santiago Viscovi, Barnes talked about being the most improved player. I think we've seen that most on defense. But he's, I mean, he's gotten a lottery. He's re- averaging five, six rebounds a game right now. And I don't know if that can keep up at that rate, but he's a very good rebounder for a guard and is very persistent on the glass. So I, that's kind of how I see the front court situation shaking up. And you know, Victor Bailey, I think, is definitely a lot more fluent and a lot more going to be a lot more interesting to watch because I'm not shocked by his start because to a degree this is what he was last year. He was frustrating on defense. He would have lapses. He didn't add a ton besides his shooting. And he was a really streaky shooter. So I don't expect, when I say, you know, this is kind of what he was last year, I don't expect him to shoot 21% from three. That's not going to happen. But he was very streaky. He'd have three, four, five games where he really struggled. And in two games where he was fantastic, I think the Georgia game last year, he hit six or seven threes. So uh, for me, uh, what he needs to do to, to earn consistent playing time, and I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but he, Rick Barnes has options at guard. And when Rick Barnes has options at guard, you better play defense if you're a guard. And Victor Bailey has had those lapses. And I don't think there's any reason that a guy like Zakai Ziegler should be so much better than him or better than him on defense. I think Victor Bailey has the talent that we've seen in games 
when he's been locked in, he's played well on defense. And Tennessee's given him some tough assignments last year, even, uh, you know, when they had Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer on the roster, less towards the end of the season. But at the start of the year, they, they put Victor Bailey on some tough assignments, and he was good. So it, to me, it's all about the mental lapses, the being locked in. It is a problem for Bailey. And I, I think you're right. Uh, when you look at – compare him to other Tennessee guards, other guards bring more consistent things uh, to the court night in and night out that he doesn't. He is a little reliant on that shooting. But if he continues to play defense, I think Tennessee – he's going to keep getting minutes uh, just because the upside when he when he's shooting the ball well is certainly really high on the offense then. One last question here for you, Ryan, about the men's team before we transition to the Lady Balls, who, again, had a, a very impressive weekend. Is, is your In your opinion, is, is Santi going to be a, a – uh, the first team point guard for the SEC at the end of the year because, man, he is – I mean, or, or shooting guard. I mean, I don't I, – I guess you can put him either one technically. But, man, he is – he has been surprisingly Tennessee's – to me, I guess not surprising. I, I don't know. He, he's been Tennessee's best player. He, he's leading the team in scoring. He is uh, currently third on the team in rebounding. Uh, six rebounds per game, like you said. Kambaugh uh, is 8.5. Fulkerson, 6.3. He's averaging a couple assists per game, two steals per game. His turnover, his his assist to turnover ratio isn't quite as good as you'd like it to be, but he's still his his turnovers have not been a huge issue uh, like they were his, his obviously his first year at Tennessee, but that was you know coming in uh, <laughs> coming in in, in in very interesting circumstances when he first got here. But he's he's not been bad. He's not had really a bunch of turnovers to start this to start this year. But he was the only really only consistent good player for Tennessee against Villanova that by and far. I mean, 23 points of that game was just kind of 4-12 from, from three, but 7-17 three, overall, 5-5 five five from the free throw line, six rebounds and assist in that game, uh, and three steals in that game. Again, he's been Tennessee's best player. I, I Unless he has a – I mean, cause it's not like he's shooting, you know, otherworldly. He's, he's shooting – 39% from three. He's shooting 47% from two, uh, 42% overall. So it's not like he's having some ridiculous shooting numbers, kind of like Kennedy Chandler was. He's shooting kind of where you kind of expect him to, and that, that 39 to 40% range from three, it's been the rebounding to me that's been as, that really impressive. I I don't I don't see any other guard out there right now that I think is significantly better to him in the SEC, and I think he's going to be a guy that at the end of the year, barring injury, he's going to be a, a first-team all SEC uh, shooting guard, or, or just a guard, or whatever for Tennessee, because um, his start's been very impressive. He's he's been consistently Tennessee's best player um, in most of the games. Kennedy Chandler, you could you could also argue that um, I think other than the Villanova game, but that's a that's a heck of a one-two punch back there in your backcourt for Tennessee of having Santi and, and Chandler as your your two main guards back there leading the team in scoring right now and being your two of your best three-point shooters on the floor as well. Uh, I think that's just dangerous, but I, I, I'm very curious your thoughts, just specific in, about Santi, because I think he's he's all SEC, maybe even. No, nah, he's not. He's not quite all American honorable mention material just yet. I, I got to see what he can do against some other teams first, but he, he's having a, a heck of a start to the season. Yeah, he is. I, I'm going to sell the first team SEC talk. Uh, okay. I could see him sneaking into the second team, but there's just a lot of good guards in this league. Javon yeah. Quinterly. At Alabama, I think it's the best player in the league overall. And then Iverson Molinar at Mississippi State, really good player. Uh, Severe Willer, all three of those guys are point guards, so I don't know exactly how they do it with the guards. They yeah. differentiate shooting guards, but some some good good guards in this league. So, But I, he he's completely exceeded my expectations. I don't mean to say any of that to take anything away from mm-hmm. what he's done at the start of the season. And I think you're right. The rebounding and the defense is where, to me, he's been the most impressive. And I think some of it, 
uh, on a defensive end. He's in better shape now. And you look at it, and there's it makes sense that he made a jump. One, Rick Barnes told us he was going to make a jump. And, you know, watching that in practice, uh, I did think he was better on defense. But I, I didn't see it as much as, you know, the most improved player on the team. I thought Cam Wall looked more improved. But still, it, you see that, and you think about, like you were saying, he gets here in the middle of the season, and then so no offseason, directly into his freshman season. And then he goes home two months later uh, during COVID and doesn't really come back, I think, until August. So he doesn't have another offseason. And, we, you know, Rick Barnes is known for his player development more than anything. So this is the first time we, Santiago Viscovi's had a normal offseason of player development. So I think it makes a lot of sense that he's better. Uh, the stamina, I think, has really helped him on defense. I think the fact that he doesn't have to handle the ball at all times on offense helps him on both ends. I think he's being able to have more energy on the defensive end, and I think he's certainly able to, to open him up to do, make some more things happen and not have to be the primary ball handler at all times. And I think what I'll be interested to see is whether it's sustainable or not. Is He's been better shooting, finishing at the layup, shooting or finishing at the basket, uh, shooting within that 10, 15-foot range that he was last year. And, and to me, I think that's the biggest question mark. Can he sustain that? Well, he's shown that he's a good three-point shooter, I think, He's shooting them at really uh, uh, more attempts a, a game so far this year and at a higher percentage so far. So I think, you know, it's, it's kind of can he keep on shooting it at that percent? I think he can. I think he's shown to be a good enough of a three-point shooter with enough range that he's he's hard to guard. And the spacing that Kennedy Chandler and Zakai Ziegler bring, I think, sets up so many opportunities for him playing off the ball. Uh, but like I said, I think that big question is how good can he be finishing around the basket? He was really good. I mean, that the North Carolina game, and a lot of it was in transition, but that North Carolina game, him finishing around the basket, that, that's the best I've seen him since he's been at Tennessee. Yeah, that's a great point. He, he has been a lot better at finishing around the rim, and that, that's, that's something that I think has been very improved from him because that was an issue where he struggled a lot because of his his lack of that elite kind of speed and burst you've seen from Kennedy Chandler and, and from Sakai Ziegler as well. So I think you're right that Santi's gotten better at driving to the rim and finishing there. I, I would like to see it continue you know, when Tennessee, you know, obviously played better competition this past weekend, but once they, once we get into, you know, some of these other um, power teams are going to play these these up higher higher major teams that Tennessee is going to play, and then getting into SEC play, where there's always there's always really good bigs in the SEC. Uh, it, uh, most teams have really good bigs and really good post players, so I'll be very intrigued to see what he does um, once we get there. But no, you're right. I think that's that's kind of the biggest area that he's changed um, his offensive game and and defensively has been. Night and day where he was when he first got here uh, defensively. That's that's for sh- that for certain for me. Let's transition over to uh, the Laval's talk now, Ryan, here to the last part of this podcast because they had about as impressive of a weekend as you could imagine um, going into it, especially without Ray Burrell. I, I, I got to admit, Ryan, I'm actually kind of surprised they came out of the weekend. Again, if you want to count, um, I guess it was Monday. They didn't, they, they didn't play on Friday. Never mind. I'm, I'm thinking of two weeks ago. But I, I'm very impressed that they they beat Texas after the way the third quarter went. Because I thought that game was winnable for Tennessee, and you saw it at halftime, Tennessee was up by one, and and where defense was playing very well. And then the third quarter happened, and I thought, wow, the Willis just came off. This this seems a lot like what happened last year, where Tennessee played the, the best teams they played without, you know, except for the, uh, uh, the A&M game. It, I guess a couple of bit. It seemed like early, you know, early in Kelly Harper's first year, and then and a lot of times last year, you would have really good first halves, and then that third quarter would be, and sometimes the fourth quarter would be where the teams would fall apart. And I kind of was more worried that this was going to be the same old story for this game against Texas, where that third quarter they out, got outscored 21-10, to 10, 
and Texas had a 10-point lead heading into the fourth. And at one point, they had a 12-point lead in the third quarter. And I'm thinking, yikes. I mean, this defense was playing great, and then suddenly Texas found something, and the lay ball's offense, like it has so far without Ray Burrell, wasn't able to really do anything, and it was struggling. And then suddenly, again, just like she has a couple times already this season, Jordan Horston comes alive in the fourth quarter. Tamari Key also had, a, a, I think, like a lot of her blocks came in the fourth quarter. Uh, but she put on a performance. Jordan Walker hit a very key three and, and played well. But Tennessee came back, stormed back. They actually grabbed a lead late in the fourth quarter, very briefly, but they grabbed a lead the fourth. And the game goes overtime, and Lady Vols are able to put it away in overtime, win 74-70 in Thompson Bowling Arena. That was the that that was a great crowd atmosphere too, from what I saw. Um, you know, not quite the the crowd of old we, we we'd seen in different Lady Vols games in the past. You know, in the Pat Summit era. But Ryan watching the game, it felt. Very, it felt very similar to a Lady Vol game of old. In fact, you know how intense it was, the atmosphere, the just the competitiveness in that game, and the I mean the closest of the game too. But man, my takeaways from this weekend are Jordan Horston learned a lot for Renaya Davis. She you can't replace you, you're not going to replace Renaya, and I don't think Horston is replacing Renaya. But the way she's able to use her body and rebound and score both, she has taken a huge step forward with her scoring uh, this season in, in place of Ray Burrell being out for you know an indefinite in period of time. But really, her rebounding, the way that Renaya did too, where she's getting double-double after double-double, getting 20 and, and 10, and in this case, 28 and 15 against Texas, she's been very, very impressive to me. And also, like Renaya, she's playing some of her best ball in the fourth quarter. Yes, she did have eight turnovers in, in the game on Sunday. Uh, that's You do, do not like seeing that. Did end up with three assists, though. I, I was still just highly impressed with her. And then also look at Tamari Key. She was a little quiet on offense. She she quietly got to double digits on offense, but 18 rebounds, which, I mean, she's typically the biggest girl on the floor, so that should be the case for most, most of the time. Ten blocks, the first lady of all ever to get a tri- two triple doubles in her career, and she fouled out of that game, too. I mean, it was very late in the in overtime, but she like, fouled out in that game and had a triple double. So, I, I mean... Ryan, to me, I I don't know. I you know I I believe also are going to lose a game here at some point because they just have a brutal schedule. So I I don't expect you know they're they're going to play uh, on Friday. They're up in Las Vegas over in Las Vegas for the South Point Thanksgiving shootout. They're playing Kansas. They're playing Oklahoma State. Uh, they'll play Virginia Tech in December, and then they also play Stanford in, in mid December. So they don't have an easy schedule of non conference games uh, upcoming here. But if I'm you know Lady Vol fan, which I mean I am. I'm looking at this this past weekend and saying, wait till we get Ray Burrell back and see what we're gonna do because that that, that she's been the to the thing I, I was texting a friend during the game, saying this defense is playing lights out. You can just tell they're really missing Ray out there on offense because they can't get anything to go. And then finally, you know, Horston came alive. Walker was doing a, a few things here and there. Alexis died a, a few big shots too. But man, Ryan, I this team. I am legitimately very excited to see what they are like when Ray Burrell comes back because I I don't think she's out for the year, but. Man, I mean, Jordan Horston has taken huge steps forward, and, and Lady Vols got named the Team of the Week and Horston the Player of the Week by ESPN um, for their performance this past weekend. But man, I mean, I, if, if I'm a Lady Vols fan, I'm thinking, all right, this this team, this team is the best team Lady Vols, in my opinion, have had the chemistry-wise and just kind of roster makeup-wise in several years. I'm not predicting like a an Elite Eight or Final Four, but man, this this way they're playing early on with that Ray Burrell and with some of the circumstances they've had to play with. They've been they've really impressed me. It's definitely I mean it's incredibly impressive how they they've held up without Ray Burrell and 
you know, I think it, it is incredibly paramount that they get her back. And I, yeah. like you said, I think she will be back at some point. But Ed, this team ceiling, it is rapid, just rapidly changed by having her on, on the court because it is still very much a grind for them on offense. And they're so good on defense that I think that's going to be able to keep them in a lot of games without her. And I think that's what's been impressive is their toughness and their ability to fight back. And like I just said, with the offense, has been the struggle. Both their games last week, they have comeback wins by eight points and then double digits in the fourth quarter against ranked teams. Mm-hmm. And they they played better on offense in both those quarters. And to your to your point, it was mostly because of Jordan Horston. But they were just outstanding defensively. I think Texas had about a six-minute scoring drought. Uh, South Florida had a four-and-a-half-minute scoring drought. I think it was, it was, I think it was longer than that. I think it was like almost eight-minute scoring drought, if I remember correctly. It was like almost the entire fourth quarter they didn't score. Something crazy. I mean, something mm-hmm. absolutely wild. So it's been incredibly impressive. And Horston has, you know, one of the questions I talked to or asked her about at media days, you obviously can't replace Renaya Davis, but, you know, do you feel extra pressure to be a contributor? And she said not really pressure, but an excitement and certainly – felt a responsibility to her teammates and not only is she putting that role to be what's going to be a number two at the start of season boom 15 minutes into the season she's got to be the number one and uh, the turnovers I think are the one thing that she's had issues with she needs to be better there but overall you can't really ask for for much more because she's playing incredibly good defense she's attacking the glass playing really hard and then when the games matter the most she's she's the go-to scorer and, and she's gotten the job done I, I was, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The the thing that still worries me the most about this team is their free throw shooting because it's just not been good. But I'll give them credit. They hit them when it counted the most um, in this game. They were 6 of 8 from the line in overtime. They were 7 of 12 in the fourth quarter, but I think a, a, a few of those that were made were late ones, if I remember correctly. I, I think they the ones they missed were more early in the, in the fourth, if I remember that correctly. But they still finished just shooting um, 66.7% from the free throw line. But... <laughs> on the opposite end, Texas had the opposite problem. They were perfect in the first couple quarters, or the first three quarters of the game for the free throw line, and then they could not make a free throw down the stretch. They were one of three in the fourth, two of six in overtime to go uh, three of nine in the closing uh, minutes of that game. And I just remember thinking, they, they kept missing and missing and missing. I was like, man, they're they're having the problems that Lady Vols have had, and then meanwhile, Lady Vols are finally starting to connect on their free throws. So I, I think that still, to me, is going to be, even when Ray Braille comes back, I think that's going to be the one thing I'm circling that's going to potentially hold this team back is their free throw shooting because Horston was good. She was 5 of 6. Die was good. She was 3 of 4. Uh, heck, even Green was 4 of 6. I'm kind of surprised by that. But it just wasn't – this team isn't a great free throw shooting team. and That's going to really hurt you in close games. And that's that's They got lucky this past weekend that Texas was just really – it was worse than they were and the Lady Vols you know, made them when they counted most. But, Ryan, I, I still think that to me – is the biggest question mark in this team is can they overcome that? Can they finally get better at that and you know keep working that at practice and just get get better? Because the three point shooting is what it is. They they shot fine this past weekend. They did only attempt nine threes, but they were four of nine from three. Um, but I I'm curious. I don't. You know, Kelly Harper hasn't said anything about Ray Burrell in like her her timetable. But I saw a lot of fans and stuff pointing to the fact that she would, didn't have anything on her on her leg uh, on when she's on the bench on Sunday. If you had to guess, you know I don't, you know, like don't know what exactly her injury is. They haven't said, but you had, if you had to guess, do you expect her to be back before SEC play? You know, as as Lady Vols are going into SEC play, you know, when when do you kind of think is a reasonable timetable? Again, we don't know inside information about her injury. We don't we don't want to speculate about injuries either. So I, this is kind of a 
basically just a shot in the dark by you, so I'm not holding you to this, but when, <laughs> in your opinion, when, when would be a, a quote-unquote reasonable time to expect her back, do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question that I definitely don't don't have the answer to. Right. But, yeah. you know, I, I would some, sometime in SEC play is what okay. I, you know, I'm kind of targeting. And sometime where she can get, you know, her, her feet wet and get, get, it, get some action before, before tournament time and hopefully, you know, earlier in conference play. But it definitely doesn't seem like something where she's close to coming back right now either from, from what I can tell and what Kelly Harper has said about it. So we'll see. You know, I, I would imagine at some point we will hear that she's been practicing some and that'll kind of be the first step towards uh, knowing when she's back on the court. But we haven't heard that right now, which makes me a little skeptical we're going to see her anytime soon. Well, the sooner the better. Uh, I mean, just for Lay Vols specifically too, but just in general, because I mean, she's such a good player, and she she can really open things up on offense that we haven't seen. You know, Lay Vols haven't had her. She, they, she played all a grand total of 17 minutes before you know her injury, and has been out since then. So I mean, we haven't seen what she can open up for them on offense. And there's just been some times we're watching the USF game, watching the UCF game, watching the Texas game, where I'm thinking. This wouldn't they they I, I still don't think this is going to be a particularly potent offensive team this year for Lady Vols, but just watching those games, I was like, you know, there are I I could see several different cases here where Ray would just open up the floor here in the mid range, especially. Uh, she has a really good mid range game um, from just her jumpers and stuff that I, I've seen her over the the past couple years make and, and just what she does. But to get to close out here and, and look at Tamari Key, she is a player who I think. She can frustrate me at times on offense, Ryan, but her defense and what she does in the paint, I mean, my goodness, 10 blocks. That's not even the first time she's had 10 blocks. And in, in her or first time she's had, I, th- I don't think it is. Yeah, I mean, she had a triple-double once, so obviously not. But I, to me, like, she is, the, the, the her potential, the ceiling for her is very high. And I just want to see her reach it. And I think at times her offense r- r- kind of frustrates me even times sometimes her defense can, but really, I mean, this showed like what her potential is: ten points, ten blocks, eighteen rebounds. Like that—that that is not what you expect every night from her. But she should be like what I imagine, and uh, what Jarnell Stokes was for Tennessee back in the day. She should be a, a player who is getting you a double double like almost every night. Like she should be getting you ten points and ten boards at least most games. I think because there's just most of the time there isn't another post player out there who's going to be able to compete with her on most teams. SEC, you'll, you'll see a little bit more with some of the girls on, on the SEC teams, but most teams, you're not going to have a girl who's going to be able to match up with Tamari Key. She should be she should be a walking double-double for this team, and I think hopefully this weekend was a it was more of a, a like again, like I said, with Victor Bailey, an eye-opener for Tamari Key, an eye-opener for the opposite reason of saying, hey, this is my potential. Like, this is what I can do. And moving forward, I want to see more of that, man. That, 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 that's what I, I want to see from Tamari, and I think that's what her, her ultimate potential is as a, as a player who can get you very consistent double-doubles and not someone you're going to rely to you know go out there and score 15, 20 points in a game, but someone who you know you can dish the ball to in, in the paint and can bustle up there and get some tough, some tough buckets for you and who's also going to be, I mean, your stalwart on, on, your, on defense and someone who's going to clog that paint and not make it easy on opposing guards or forwards to go out and try to score. You're right, and I mean she's been incredible so far this season. And you're right, there's still mm-hmm. I do think she's improved on offense, but there's still some frustrations. There's still certainly a lot of room to grow, and she's not she's not a dominant offensive player, but she right. absolutely is a dominant defensive player. And we talked 
you know, so much about how good Tennessee's defense has been and how important it is for them to continue to play at the rate they've played at, at least until they get Ray Burrell back. And if they want to go, I think where this team wants to go, certainly all to that. I mean, she creates so much opportunity for other players to take risks, you know, trying to get deals. And she's just such, I mean, it's such an incredible paint presence. And, and I was talking actually with Jack Foster, who covers the team for uh, VR2 to uh, SI site for, for Tennessee. And I feel, you know, it's remarkable. I'm only, I'm 22 years old, senior in college. So I'm, I'm certainly missing a lot of players, but I've gotten to cover in my time at Tennessee, East Ponds and Tamari Key. And I can't imagine there's too many better defensive players uh, in the history of Tennessee women's and men's basketball than those two. Those two. And, it's certainly something I'm looking forward to, to getting just to soak it in all season, how she, how good she is on that defensive end. And, and certainly been an incredible start to the season. And I think it's, it's hard to say that Tennessee gets wins last week over Texas and South Florida if it wasn't for what she was able to do on the defensive end. Yeah, well said. And that's funny you bring both those up. We've, G and I have both talked out on this podcast about both those players because they're the same height, man. That, that's just, it's crazy to think that Tamari <laughs> Key and Eve Pons are the same height. Like that's just, and obviously, he's they're very different athletically. What you said, but they do elite defenders, um, and just especially the block shots. Like I don't know that I don't know that Ryan, you anyone else will have who's covered Tennessee in this time frame has witnessed more block shots between the men's and women's <laughs> basketball team yeah. than covering Eve Pons and, and Tamari Key. Like that, the the massive amount of blocks you witnessed uh, over the last few years, uh, that's a ton, man. That's that's more blocks than a. Uh, I was going to say Josh Dobbs. He's not blocking about on Twitter anymore. I guess I guess I could say Harrison Bailey. More more blocks yeah. than Harrison Bailey has dished out on Twitter <laughs> the past couple years. Uh, oh, Ryan, I, I really appreciate you, man. You you've been a blast again, and I, I know again it's Thanksgiving week, so I I really appreciate you taking time to do this with me. Again, you work over at RTI at Rocky Top Insider. Uh, let people know what you have out there right now. What would you have come down the pipe? Obviously, we have basketball. We have football going into the last game of the regular season. They're both eligible. About the Vandy. So, if you want to plug anything football, obviously you can. But if you have anything you want to plug for RTI and where people can find you, uh, please do that right now. Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at rshump00. That's R S C H U M P 00. And uh, actually, the first uh, increment of something I'm going to be doing for the men's team, uh, at least every Monday when they play two games a week before. So, at least when we get once we get into SEC play, I uh, call it a starting five, just kind of five points uh, from the past week, kind of recap, recapping and assessing what happens, and then there'll definitely be some points kind of looking forward, uh, whether that's lineup stuff, matchups coming up, uh, injuries, how that affects the team. So had one out uh, from uh, on Monday from this past weekend, so, so check that out. And then plenty of uh, football stuff on the site all week. I think we'll, we'll have a, a decent amount of stuff on senior day and kind of a it's been a, a special senior class. It's certainly been through a lot at Tennessee and countless guys that, that are playing the best football of their career this season so uh tons of stuff and then we'll we'll have uh, everything you need to know on uh, the vols tournament this weekend out in las vegas and as they face uh, kansas and oklahoma state i'm gonna have to go check out that that starting five that sounds like something i would enjoy and it sounds like a must read every every monday like you said uh, when they play multiple games because i think that's it sounds like something i'm gonna enjoy it sounds like i, I love recapping <laughs> and kind of looking ahead at the same time for uh, basketball because again I, I I think the the market here in Knoxville is huge but it's a very football focused and I'm, I'm all for basketball content and especially for Lady Vols too because they need more coverage but I, I appreciate that Ryan I think that's something I'll I'll check out and I'll, I'll have the retweet it a few times uh, from my Twitter account and from the podcast Twitter account so 
Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me, and happy Thanksgiving to you, buddy. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate the kind words, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy coming on, and, and glad to do it anytime. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 